A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Second Age Podcast. We're the Lorehounds. I'm David. And I'm John. And we're your guides to Tolkien's land of Middle-earth. And today we're going to be breaking down the Rings of Power trailer that was just released by Amazon. And to help us do that, we've got Jim and Aaron from Bald Move with us. Hey, guys. Hey, how's it going? Hey. Thanks for uh, popping over. Yeah, no problem. Well, I'm glad we're able to do it. Uh, strike why the trailer is hot. Or the teaser. I'm sorry, the teaser. <laughs> mm. There's a, I, I don't understand what Rings of Power was, or Amazon was doing here with that. The trailer teaser, main teaser, it, it's very strange. Nothing means anything in this industry anymore. No. Not with, Jim, with Jeff Bezos at the, uh, at the helm. Anyway, <laughs> those issues aside. Um, so uh, keeping in good standing with Bald Move Traditions, uh, the first episode of The Lorehounds dropped on Monday, and bang, we got an Amazon trailer. Um, that's kind of exciting. Aaron, I know we're going to be covering Rings of Power this season. How are you guys? What's, uh, what's the status with Bald Move? You guys are going to be doing a full episode breakdown? Oh, yeah. We're going to be doing... I, I, I don't know if we're going to be doing... Because like, we're also going to be doing uh, the House of the Dragon stuff. And I'm, I'm much more the lore master on that side of things. Uh, the, on the Game of Thrones. Um, I had to flush a lot of uh, Lord of the Rings lore out of my brain to make, make room for the world of, a, of, of uh, Song of Ice and Fire. But, uh, yeah, we're super excited about it. We'll be doing a dedicated podcast, uh, maybe a feedback uh, episode as well, depending on how much feedback we get. But, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I, I'm particularly excited about this teaser. I thought, be candid, some of the earlier releases left me kind of whelmed. Uh, but I thought this thing really felt cinematic in the way that Peter Jackson stuff did, in a way that the other kind of brief teasers that we saw, maybe it's all about color correction or post-processing or just having better shots and, and more, more things that had uh, effects integrated. But I thought this trailer looked real good. Cool. Jim, what did you, uh, you think of the trailer? Oh, yeah. I mean, as someone who is not steeped in the lore, doesn't really know uh, the story that's going on here behind the scenes. I'm not in there nitpicking, you know, who's supposed to be here and who isn't. So to me, it looks great. I thought, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine a series that looked more like Lord of the Rings to me because I've seen the movies, obviously. Uh, and this feels like it's straight out of those. And I thought it sounded great. Uh, I think the music is going to be excellent in this thing. 
And honestly, if they can get a story to match, then I am I'm there for it. Yeah, nice. And John, we had so what? We had two teasers and then this main teaser. How do you see that the the two other teasers integrated in with this? I mean, I think we saw a lot of the same shots coming out of it, but we saw a lot of new information. Yeah, I mean, I have so much more confidence on this series now that this new trailer is out. Oh, teaser, so sorry. And uh, it, one of the biggest things is there's so much first age content that seems to be in there. There seems to be some kind of flashbacks to there um, that make me feel like they have a stronger grasp on the lore that I had originally thought. Very cool. Yeah, and then next week, so this is, uh, we're recording on the, the 14th, the day that the trailer dropped, and then next week we have the San Diego Comic-Con, and we know that they're doing some event there as well. Probably a panel with maybe showrunners and some stars. They, I don't know. We don't think they're, they're going to release any new uh, video material, but um, I'm sure there's going to be more news rolling out after that, and maybe we'll have some more insights into what the time frame is that they're capturing here for the storyline. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that they're calling this deliberately a teaser because there is going to be maybe a two and a half, three minute trailer that they do of new material that they do release at Comic Con? Because it, it it feels weird to release so much right on the eve of because like normally the move is to debut this at the panel, yep. drop it on the internet at the same time, maximum in, uh, cultural yep. impact. Yeah. Uh, but it also seems wild to do like a two and a half minute trailer and then another two and a half, three minute like you know. John and I have been stressing all week, uh, going like, is this a teaser? Is this a trailer? Are they going to do Comic-Con? Like, yeah, it's been driving us a little crazy. And this is a two and a half minute trailer teaser. So that's usually the length of a, a, of a trailer. The question is, will you be back for the, the actual trailer if they release one next week? I think we'd have to be. <laughs> okay. At least a short thing, right? Or, you know, maybe yeah, sure, breaking down sure. what, what was new. Um, I, I said you mentioned the first stage material, and it's been about twenty years since I've gone through the appendixes or the Cimmerillion, um, any of the letters of Tolkien collection, and having that in there because I was like, when I saw the two trees, I'm like, oh wow, we're going back into yeah. ancient times. And then I saw the Hobbit show up, and I'm like, what the hell? This this seems to be kind of like playing fast lose the cannon but i i guess if um if it, it is like a flashback or they're telling parallel stories of you know how this all began and why why the war started to begin you know like uh, establishing the 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 evil person that they're fighting that makes sense that you would kind of surf between those different timelines yeah i think that they're going through it with galadriel's history because you can see that she's having this sort of confrontation with elrond where he's like oh i've seen enough she goes no you don't know what i've seen which goes into this deep level of elvish politics that stem from the first age and so they probably need to lay a foundation of that lore just to get you to the point where you understand the drama of the second age and uh, just stick a pin in it too we've got a um on our main podcast, we're going to go into some of these details uh, as we release every Monday leading up to the show. So stay tuned to uh, Dug Too Deep and the Lorehounds feeds to get all yeah. that information. Shameless plug aside. Yeah, we're going to have like a chart that you can click on for all the Elvish factions. And so that'll make a little more sense after chapter three. Awesome. That that sounds interesting with the... Uh possible parallel storylines because i know a lot of people it, i don't know the the audience is very split on this i think a lot of people who are into lord of the rings are like this could be sacrilege and a lot of people are like well i, I don't know it looks great 
Um, yeah, I wonder if they can find a way to, to thread that needle. Well, we've got, what, five? Si- how many seasons are, did they promise us? I think they're doing five. Right. So, And they said that they have them planned out. Yeah. They, they like know what they're doing, which makes sense because, you know, this is a prequel. We kind of know how it ends because, mm-hmm. you know, you see that in the intro to The Lord of the Rings. So the interesting thing they can do is what are they going to bring to life from this period? Because there's really like several years of several hundred years of history that they're condensing here. Yeah. Uh, so how they do that is going to be a big barometer of the quality. I'm looking forward to seeing it because, like, uh, in my adult experience, there hasn't been many prequels released that have made me feel more connected to the source material. Like, when the prequels of Star Wars came out, it's not like, oh, man, A New Hope is a complete different light now that I know about the truth. I'm really hoping that this uh, is amazing enough that it does kind of, like, want people... uh, At the end of it, you're like, man, I can't wait to watch Lord of the Rings again because I'm going to know so much more about Galadriel and the nature of Sauron and evil. I, I think that would be, I, I hope this is a prequel that, that lives up to its, its predecessors. Hearing some yeah, of I what mean, the Hobbit movies didn't do it for you. Come on. <laughs> Not well. Yeah. We've already had one, one bloated fat prequel attempt already. And as a swing and a miss in my, in my right. book. Yeah. I mean, one thing is, I think that when you have a prequel, the, the issue is how do you create tension when you know that something's going to happen? But what a prequel can be good about is like reading the Lord of the Rings after you've read the Silmarillion is a totally different experience because there's just so much juice there that you kind of gloss over if you read the Lord of the Rings, but you like pick up mm-hmm. more stuff, more goodness, the more you know about that extended universe. And Tolkien originally wanted to release the Silmarillion with the Lord of the Rings as like a companion. And that makes a ton of sense when you look at the final thing. So if we have this to a st- to a state where it enhances the Lord of the Rings, I think that people will really like it because that's the gold standard. Like there were some, there were those people out there that was like, "Eh, Tom Bombadil," but <laughs> most, uh, most even you know, hardcore Tolkien nerds were pretty pleased with the Jackson trilogy, the original. Yeah, right for sure. Yeah, it's been interesting to hear some of the uh, little bit of information that's coming from the the showrunners and how that they are taking inspiration from the Jackson films. They're not legally allowed to use that material, but they're um, right. keeping it in the in their minds as they're building their own world and then trying to you know connect these two train cars of stories uh, together. So I think I think they're cognizant of that aiming point that they're they're trying to reach. They're doing a, a hell of a job of aping that style because like I'm looking through some of these shots and and it's stuff. It's like man, this really does. And even a way that like. I don't think The Hobbit did because The Hobbit, you know, Jackson was trying all that as uh, ultra high def, 60 frames per second. And like it didn't look as much like the original trilogy as this trailer does, like the atmospheric haze and mm. the soft lighting. And like it's it's just it looks like a real place. Yeah. yeah and to catch that, like this is a new world feeling. Right. And it's it's still in a infant stage. You know, it hasn't been ruined yet. Um yeah, even you, you catch some of that in some of the shots of the trailer, for sure. The air is fresh and clean. So uh, maybe this is a good segue to switching over and we can start doing some breakdown of the trailer. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so uh, we open the trailer with a voiceover of a woman talking about a time when the world was young. And then we see a tracking shot of a city harbor, a close-up of a woman um, looking into the camera, sort of. And then another tracking shot of a sunrise 
over a city with two trees in the background. John, what are we looking a at? A tree rise. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so the trees. There's. It's actually not the sunrise. It's. It. That's the light from the trees. So those are two trees called Telperion and Laurelin that were the source of light in the world before the sun and moon were created. Did they? Uh, so I can forget how these trees work. Did they have one that kind of was during the day and then it would kind of like curl its leaves and then a nighttime tree, or are they both shining and giving the soft, uh, diffuse light throughout uh, Arda? It would be like for several hours, one tree would shine, and then as that tree was fading, the other tree would start to to shine. So there would be like a twilight. There would be two twilights a day, basically, just like a regular day. But I think it was shorter. I'm sorry, it was much, much longer days, but it was like the okay. scale was uh, more even between day and night, I think. And, and the other thing is, like, if I remember my Tolkien cosmology right, the original shape of the Earth was flat. So these trees were sufficient to light the entire habitable space. Is that correct, or am I crazy? Yeah, so there's some there's some debate within the writings because the whole thing of Tolkien and canon is that he kept revising things until he died, and he just, and right. everything's released now. Like Christopher Tolkien just put out everything his dad ever wrote. But uh, the the one I like to go with is that yes, it was a flat Earth at this point. Um, and we actually talk about that whole flat earth versus round earth, middle earth theory uh, in, I think, chapter two of the second age. Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking at the screenshot here and it does. At first, I thought it was the sun shining through the tree. But the more I look at it, it more it feels like the branches, the leaves themselves are what's giving off the light. Uh, one other question about this tree is, uh, did, is there's one that's more or less the sun and one's more or less the moon, or are they both kind of equally bright, sun, warm kind of light? Yeah, one of them is more sun, sunny and the other okay. one's more moony. Um, it's not like as pronounced as the sun versus the moon. Like it's the, the moon's still pretty bright, um, but there there is like sort of a moon quality, I guess, to one of them. All right, so our next shot we have is a couple of flyovers. Uh, we have one showing some people crossing a river and then another one showing some people hiking through some high mountains. And then we hear a woman singing a sort of stylized folk song uh, about journeying. Yeah, um, I, I don't know exactly where these things are. I think that maybe the one where you see the eagles or whatever bird that is. That is probably the Misty Mountains, but it could also be uh, the Helcaraxe, which is a, a big word for frozen bridge. It's sort of, you know, the Bering Strait thing where people crossed over a frozen bridge the land in, bridge, in ancient yeah. times. It's, yeah, so so the, Tolkien has a similar thing in his world where um, when the Noldor, which are a group of elves, came back from Ammon, the Undying Lands, to Middle-earth, some of them took ships, and then some people who were dissatisfied with that group, including Galadriel, took a frozen bridge. So that could be what they're doing here. Well, you mentioned I, I saw the caption here is that the Misty Mountains of the Eagles. Is that a capital E eagle? Yeah. So, so the eagles, the big eagles, are controlled by like the king of the Valar, who are like these, this like Greek pantheon of gods. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that could be one of them. It could be just like a regular bird. It might just be a flyover. What uh, and you said the, what's the mineral tarma? Yeah, so there's a there's a big uh, shrine that is also a mountain on Numenor. Uh, so I, I figure they might be going for that with it, but 
I, I think okay. it's probably either the Helcaraxe or the Misty Mountains. Gotcha. So, so something I noticed in, in both these shots, so the first one where we've got a group of people crossing a river, these people are in parallel lines and they're all running and they're all moving in sort of the same direction. Um, it seems very sort of almost military precision to me. And then the mm-hmm. one with the mountain shot. And then, yeah, you can, if you miss it, if you blink, you'll miss it. There's an eagle flying off the, the cliff. Those people as well are all wearing cloaks and it looks like they've got maybe weapons on their backs. And they're, again, they're kind of wa- walking almost in a two by two formation. Yeah, the reason I brought up mental tarma at all was because the eagles, Manway's eagles, these like holy eagles that are super powerful, they would like fly around this mountain shrine during prayers and during like all these ceremonies that the king is supposed to do. So that could be why it's that, but I, I it might not be. I don't know. And and the eagles that show up to save the day at the end of Lord of the Rings, uh, the Return of the King. Th- these are are these literally the same eagles, or are they descendant of those eagles? I don't know. We don't know the lifespan okay. of Tolkien's eagles. Gotcha. Because they're semi-divine. I also think, if I recall, they're semi-divine beings similar to, like, uh, Gandalf. Like, they're angelic kind of beings. All right. So um, our next uh, sequence of shots, we have a voiceover of someone describing different races and the various things that are important to those communities. And then we see uh, various shots of forests, mines, and fields. And then we have a, the scene continues with a Harfort woman, who we're going to talk about what a Harforts are, um, saying that the Harforts have each other and that we are safe, sort of contrasting these people have this, but then we have that. And then the scene ends with a meteor crashing to the ground. And this is the meteor that they've been uh, teasing us with in the previous two releases. Meteor Man. So... Um, yeah. Harfoots. Yeah, no, I was going to pitch the ball to you for Harfoots. 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 Uh, They seem to be using these things as like primitive hobbits, proto-hobbits. In the Lord of the Rings prologue, where where Tolkien extensively describes hobbits, Harfoots are mentioned as a subgroup of hobbits, where he says that there's three pretty distinct groups of hobbits. And the main, the biggest group that likes to settle the most, that likes to live in holes, like we know, that's the Harfoots. So that seems to be what they're doing here. I don't know if they really called themselves Harfoots that much or if that was more of what Tolkien called them. And then they're just using that for this because they want to separate it from the Lord of the Rings. But they're adding this in because, you know, Hobbits probably existed in the Second Age, but there's not really a story about them. And and the biggest issue I have with this is just that if Hobbits are so prominent in the Second Age, why would they fly under Sauron's radar for so long? And why would they be able to be secret in the Third Age when Frodo has to take the ring? That's my biggest issue. But they might do it well anyway. I don't know. Yeah, they could be like background, you know, characters that are mostly separate from the big events of the age, I mm-hmm. would guess. Because I had the same question. If uh, It's one thing to, I guess, have ha- Hobbits around, but actually taking... Uh, I'll, 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 any kind of leading role in the War of the Rings would be kind of kind of nutso, but uh, I don't know. Maybe they're uh, they're playing a little bit of a solo here with this. I don't know. So when we uh, when we have the voiceover, the the woman, do we know who the woman is? She's a Harfort woman. Um, I believe it, her name might be Marigold Brandyfoot. 
Okay, and she seems. I'm guessing that she she'll we'll see more of her in the in this season. She mm-hmm. talks about how the elves have the woods and how the dwarves have the mines, and we see a picture of a, a deep mine. And then the men have uh, I forget what she says the men have, but we see a picture of uh, some people uh, fields, of, fields grain. of grain. So we're mm-hmm. establishing the primary races uh, in the world and sort of showing them what's important. And then when she's talking about them, you know, we see uh, some Harfruts dancing in the forest. We see some uh, people uh, on a hillside. And actually, if you on, on one of those frames, in one of the earlier teasers, we saw two Harfrut guys carrying big sort of elk-like horns on their backs. They're actually on the ridgeline in the back of that shot with that person with the whistle. Hmm. Interesting. What do we think this is, is going on with the meteor? Uh, okay. Here's what I hope. I think I hope it's the blue wizards because there were five wizards like Gandalf who who came. Uh, the blue wizards are the ones who probably came who who may have came, come during the second age. Uh, there's like discrepancies in the writings about it, but they're the most plausible who came in the second age, and we have like almost no information about them except that they probably started weird magic cults. Um, and and they like there's there's so much they could do with that, and there's not a lot there, and I would be happy to see them take liberties with it. I hope that it's that. However, as we saw, it looks like the Eye of Sauron when they're when when the meteor is coming down. I think that they're just going for Sauron came on a meteor back to Middle Earth after certain events. It's got big Satan cast from heaven energy down to Earth, you know, like uh, this flaming flaming being uh, arriving in smoke yeah. and fire. I know, I know Tolkien would be pissed that I'd made that <laughs> allegory, Tolkien, so. Yeah. All right, in the next scene, we've got an edited conversation between uh, possibly Elrond and uh, Galadriel. And we see various scenes of Galadriel adventuring and facing various dangers. Um, We hear talk of the enemy and uh, Galadriel impressing uh, the importance of what she has seen. There is a lot packed into this little sequence here, John. Yeah. Um, So I think that this is where we're seeing all these flashbacks because... There's a ton here. I mean, we definitely see, um, you know, Tyrion, which is this like elvish area in the Undying Lands in the early shots. Um, we also see Galadriel in this like red fuzz that, that we don't know exactly what it is. I think that that's the first Kinslaying, which is this big event we talk about in chapter three of the Lorehounds, where her uncle Feanor, uh, like, goes to town on his on the other elves that are in uh, Avon because he's trying to go back to Middle-earth and they don't want to give him their ships. And so it's the first time that Elf killed Elf, really. And it was, like, really bad. And so I think Galadriel's, if this is tied to this flashback, is saying, like, I know how bad my people can get, so you need to sit down, Elrond. It looks like literal hell. That, if it, what you're talking about is the first kinslaying, like, it's just, like, magma red, elves floating and falling and bisected with spears. I mean, that uh, that's that's war on a scale we've never seen before in, in this yeah, series. Yeah, well, the Noldor who followed Feanor were known as being these, like, really violent, vengeful people because there, there's this whole thing, and we'll talk about that more in our cast, but... They they made these Silmarils out of the two trees, and the two trees were gone, and Mor- Sauron's boss, Melkor, also known as Morgoth, had destroyed the trees and taken the Silmarils, and Feanor is like, I'm going to kill anybody with my Silmarils. I don't care if they're elf, men, I don't care if they're Valar, which are gods. 
I don't, I don't care who it is. I'm going to kill you. He's 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 a bad dude. And that's Galadriel's uncle. Um, and Galadriel followed her uh, a different uncle uh, on the Helcaraxi, which we saw before, because she saw this whole kinslaying go on. And she's like, oh, I don't know about this. This is this is a little not for me, you know. This scene of the with this all these bodies swirling uh, around and somebody impaled on a spear. It looks like there's some sort of tower or central high place. Uh, I think they're in the water. Really? I I, I thought so. I thought that they okay. were underwater here. I, I yeah, I was like either I I didn't yeah maybe they are underwater because now I'm looking at it, I'm seeing bubbles. I thought they were like levitating up into that you know like they they were exploded up into the heavens or something. Well, the but, first uh, kinsling happened on the shore. Wow! So that would make a lot of sense if if they fall into the water with spears mm. in them. So that's why I think it's that. Gotcha. But also, there's other water based big events coming up so it could be a, uh, a flash forward you know because we know Galadriel has these like weird visions uh, in, the, in the Lord of the Rings and all that so maybe maybe she's like I've seen the future so we it could be anything Jim do you have a take on this uh, no I also thought it was some sort of uh, hellscape sky with some of the elves being lifted into it but yeah water probably makes a lot more sense there all right we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back Next, we've got, uh, this is a big, so we've sort of hit the halfway of this trailer, and now we're into the the rising action of this. I counted at least 27 different shots that they compressed into uh, the back half of this. It's a big montage that uh, sort of brings the trailer into its conclusion. Um, I'll just summarize the narrative. We, we first hear an elf talking about uh, darkness marching over the face of the earth and all and the ends of all people. And then we hear somebody, I think it's a dwarf, uh, saying that he's sorry, but their time has come. We hear someone declare that the past is with us all. And then we hear somebody else declare that the past is dead and that we need to move forward. And then we hear and see another dwarf saying uh, that this could be the beginning of a new era. And then we uh, that's overlaid over about 27 different shots. So I'm not sure how we want to break this down because it's a lot. Yeah, so why don't we go through who we're talking about here? Because I can identify okay. most of these people. Okay. Uh, so the first elf that talks, that's Gilgalad. He's the one who's who's like, there's a darkness over the land. Uh, so that's Gilgalad, and you see him in The Lord of the Rings, where he's the guy who's going to fight Sauron um, at, in that intro, uh, along with Elendil. Hmm. You also have, I mean, you have a shot of Galadriel there. Then you have... Tar Muriel, who I think I predicted in one of our episodes, so I'll eat my words now. I thought that they were going to replace her with Isildur's sister, which is a character they made up. But it looks like she's there. So she looks to be the queen regent of Numenor at this point. So she's in charge. But she's, she doesn't say anything. We're not... She doesn't say anything, but she's... Um, she, Wait, are we a doing shot the shot her break? There, are we doing the shot breakdown or are we, doing the, are we identifying the narratives? Oh, oh, so okay. So we can say who talked first. Yeah. So the person who says uh, the the pat the what was it the their time is done. Yes, 
That is probably Doran the Third. He's a dwarf king. We know we have Dor- Doran the Fourth, his son, um, and and I think that what they're setting up is that Doran the Third is the current king of Khazad-dûm, which is it becomes Moria by the time of the Lord of the Rings. So it, it's like a fallen kingdom at that point. But at this time, we're going to see active Khazad-dûm with the dwarves running a kingdom in this mountain, and that's right next to a big elvish city, um, which is where the rings are involved uh you, you labeled a lot of these locations i had thought was rivendale as linden is that what they called rivendell in the the second age or is that a distinct uh Elvis so city linden is a region that i've never heard um, of but it's it's uh ah. the gray havens are part of linden you know like where they where they sail off at the end uh rivendell doesn't exist at the beginning of the second age it's founded sort of as a response to a lot of these events so i don't think it exists yet i think we're probably going to see it being founded I was going to say, you also identify like a bunch of Numenor uh, locations, and uh, I really like, when I was looking at the, the, the ships that are sailing into this city, I like how they've got that seabird motif, like from uh, uh, the, the, the uh, um, Gondorian like, honor guards, you, you know, they got those big wings on their helmets, and like uh, Aragorn's uh, crown had those big wings, these are Aragorn's <laughs> ancestors, and the ships cut that very similar. They, they've got these really strong battened sails, and they, they, they look like uh, a bird's wings stretched up, ready to, to go in flight. I thought that was a really cool detail. Did you see on the back of the wings, there's like a sun pattern? I didn't make that yeah, out. Yeah, there's like no. a... Oh, actually, I can, yeah, I can start, I can kind of, I wasn't sure if those were shadows, but yeah, I can kind of see like the rays of a sun coming out. Is that a symbol that we know, John? I don't recognize it. It could be. Um, I'm wondering if it's a way that they're going to differentiate like the factions of Numenorians as things get a little more heated. Mm. Could that be a tree? The white tree imagery? We do see a woman wearing a, a, a helmet with uh, big spikes in one of the production stills. The, the sorry the white tree question first um i it could be i i i wasn't looking at it um maybe and then david what did you ask i said in one of the production stills that came out yesterday there's a woman stand, uh sitting on horseback on in front of a, a line of horses and she's got a really spiky helmet that reminds me of this uh sun's uh sun logo on the back of these um sails yeah i think that was tarmiriel hmm. again um, so, so they're, they're setting her up to be a big character. Um, and then you also have a responding to the last thing that we talked about with Doran talking, we had Elendil sitting around a table saying, you know, the past is the past. Um, and we have Arendir saying, Arendir is an elf that they made up for this. Uh, and he's saying, uh, the past is always with us. So those are the other two people that we're talking before before I forget to answer that. Um, Arendir is a Sylvan elf, which is a faction that's not explored a ton. They live in Lothlorien mostly in the Third Age, where we see them in the Lord of the Rings. Even though Galadriel rules them, and they're not, she's not a Sylvan elf. Um, so they're they're basically like these wood elves. And what they're doing with Arendir is they've confirmed that he's in an elf human relationship, which is a very rare thing in Tolkien. And uh, so they're, I think that they're just trying to go for that Aragorn-Arwen thing. They are too late for Baron and Luthien. Yeah, yeah. right? Because that's, that's uh, uh, Elrond is one of their descendants, yeah? Yes, he is. Uh, and You say it's a rare thing, but it seems like a lot of Middle-earth uh, <laughs> history hinges around those, those unions. 
Yeah, the 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 biggest ones are Baron and Luthien, and then Aragorn and Arwen. And Arwen's supposed to like be in Luthien's image, so it's it's supposed to be this very special thing, which is why people get a little funny when they start adding <laughs> new ones. Um, especially people hated in the Hobbit movies when they added that like Hobbit elf romance. Elf r- romance. Oh my yeah. god, was mm-hmm. that bad? So um, one of the next coming up scenes we have here is a couple of people uh, under a tree at some sort of moonlight and then looking out over the water. Yeah, so that looks like Gilgalad and I think Elrond. And they are chatting. I think that's where they're having that conversation like, oh, there's a darkness along the land. So we'll we'll see what they do with that. That's probably somewhere in Linden. And then we move on and we see uh, a man, maybe a king of some kind, um, also talking. Oh yeah, that no, that's Gilgalad. Okay, that's Gilgalad again. All right, um, and then we get a horde of creatures storming a battlement. That looks like orcs to me. I'm ninety nine percent sure that's orcs because they they have shown some like lady orcs now, so they're going with that now, and I think that's why they look a little skinnier and a little a little uh, less orky than they did in the Lord of the Rings. Are they already set up shop in Mordor, or is that to come? Because I just felt like this land looks a little blighted, but it could just be nighttime. Yeah, so Mordor becomes a fortress in the Second Age. But orcs have been around for a while, because they're around in the First Age. They were created sort of by, like, corrupting elves. That That's at least one explanation for their origin. Um, but, but yeah, so Sauron's getting, getting cooking in Mordor at this point. Next, we see a, a shot of a bunch of white birds uh, circling around a, a boat on the water. And we've definitely seen these birds in some of the other um, cityscapes. Yeah, I'm wondering what this is. I don't know if that's a Numenorean ship or an Elvis ship. They're, they're wearing white, it looks like. So I think it's I think it's elves. This boat looks a lot. Yeah, I was going to say, because it, it doesn't look the, the Numenoreans had a very heavily battened sail pattern. And mm-hmm. this looks a lot like the boat that takes Frodo across yeah. The water at the end of the Lord of the Rings. That'd be a nice uh, tie over if they if they took that style stylistically took that inspiration. Yeah. Then we see uh, Galadriel, um, followed by another woman, um, a, a noble woman. That's Tarmiriel. Tarmiriel, uh, a Harfurt woman, and then uh, some scraggly looking guy who uh, seems to be very. F- the shot is very fuzzy. So we get four quick. Um, Shots of people reacting to various things happening around them. Mm-hmm. So definitely got Galadriel there, and something bright has just sort of gone off. Yeah, I think that I think they're looking at the trees there. I think that's that's what that's going to be. And uh, we got this Aqualung looking guy here. Is he is that Meteor Man or is he somebody else? Oh, I have no idea. It could be. Well, <laughs> I I I just want it to be a blue wizard. Give me a blue wizard. That's what I want. That's my speculation. It's a blue wizard or nothing. All right. Next, we see a um, uh, is uh, an elf. Is that Elrond or Celebrimbor? I couldn't quite tell. Being escorted by some dwarves in what looks to be Khazadum. Yeah. So I think that's Elrond. Uh, the the thing is, so Celebrimbor is an elf that he he forged the three elven rings, and uh, he runs the city right next to Khazadum. And so that's why, remember in the Lord of the Rings, they're like, oh, there's this door with Elvis because they used to go in and out. So that's why there was that door that had the Elvis password. So I know Elrond helps out with that city at some point. So I think it's Elrond going there maybe for help because things start to go down in that city. 
but it could be Celebrimbor too because it's a little vague. All right, then we've got uh, a dwarf king uh, speaking the line about uh, he's sorry, but you know somebody's time has come. Yeah, that's so that's probably Doran the third. Okay, do we know what whose time that he's talking about? Maybe any guesses? No idea. Okay, uh, let's see here. We've got then a quick cut to a, a dwarf breaking a big stone with an axe. Um, yeah, I don't know what they're doing with that stone thing. I, I, it looks like it's just more exposition on Kazadoom. Okay. Uh, we get some scenes from Frozen Waterfalls, which we've uh, seen sort of some of these bits before. And then uh, we get a uh, scruffy man um, in, in what looks to be like an audience chamber or a throne room of some kind. I, I think that's probably the Numenorean throne room. Uh-huh. That's Halbrand, I think we've identified him as with the actor. Uh, which is they they made him up. He's not canon, so who knows what they'll do with him. He looks very Aragorny. He does look Aragorny. We get a close up of an elf named uh Arendir, and he's then he speaks that line about uh, the past is always with us. Mm-hmm. Why does he have a face on his chest? It's very <laughs> uh Children of the Forest from Game of Thrones. You know what it reminded me of was uh the Green Knight a little bit. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah his yeah, brooch sure. is very much calls back to the brooches that uh, Sam and Frodo had in uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah, the cloaks for that matter. Yeah, well, he's probably living in Lothlorien at this point. So that makes sense why that would have that connection. And then we get a scene of a cavalry charge uh, across um, some fields below some um, snowy mountains. I love that they zoom in on the for- horses. They're like... Oh yeah, we did horse armor. <laughs> right. You get ready. If you look at the I, looking at the the screenshot too, it looks like uh, Galadriel at the center of the formation there. I noticed you you, you also labeled them Numenorians. Uh, why that instead of some kind of proto Rohirrim? Because I looked at this like the, the, those head tassels and scale armor kind of scream Rohan to me, but I don't know if those that's right for the timeline or, or whatnot. And I'm also not. Super conversant on what the Numenorians rode into battle. Yeah, the Rohirrim came from the north sometime in the Third Age. So, I mean, they could change it for the canon and this, but um, that that's the canon. Uh, Numenorians have, like, big bonds with horses. They supposedly could, like, call them and be like, hello, horse, come back to me. Like, um, in when they were in Numenor. So I think it's probably more likely Numenorians than Rohan. But, it, I mean, they could change it. Interesting, because they showed the previous one. They showed the men in the fields of wheat. Uh, those seemed a little bit rustic for Numenorians, and I, so I thought maybe they would have like other men besides the you know the uh, more more I don't know the Numenorians are they think a lot of themselves. Yeah, well, the, well, a lot, a lot the, of pride. The Numenorians yeah. have like superpowers basically. Like they live longer lives. They're they're stronger. They see better. They all this stuff um, because they helped the elves against. Uh, Morgoth, which was Sauron's boss in the previous age. Uh, but but they end up for a long time, and we get into this in the second age deeply, so I won't go too deep into this, but they, they end up for a long time being these sort of like teachers and helpers among the normal men in Middle-earth, and that's when they start trading with them. And uh, eventually they, they get a little nastier towards the people in Middle-earth. So I think that we're going to see like this changing relationship between the Numenorians and the regular men. All right, then we uh, got a 
quick couple of cuts, we see a couple of Harfoots hugging, and then we see probably Galadriel on a raft in the middle of a storm. We've seen uh, some shots of this before. And then a large ship crashing through some waves with a, a man standing on the deck of the ship. Yeah, so that looks like Isildur. That's the actor who plays Isildur. And that's when... So for some reason, he's on a ship. Is, do you think that's when they're leaving Numenor? They're escaping to Middle-earth? So that's the thing. I thought that they were going to go very close to that kind of event at the beginning of the series, but I think they're backing up farther because the fact that Tar Muriel is queen means that they're starting pretty early in this timeline of Numenor. And Isildur is the guy, you'll recall, that just couldn't throw that ring into Crack of Doom. Elrond wanted him to real bad, but he just just, just couldn't do it. Do we got any theories about why uh, Galadriel might be being tossed about on the sea in a storm? I have no idea. Okay, that that's new to me. Definitely some show uh, invention stuff. Mm-hmm. Being struck by lightning, almost like something divine is. She's trying to get somewhere, and and uh, something doesn't want her to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a big, totally. Yeah, you can see that big lightning strike right on the on the side of her raft there. Um, then she's got her her Dolores dress on in the in the next scene. <laughs> yeah, she's riding uh, a, riding the horse riding the horse across the beach with a city in the in the background, and um, then we got a close up of a man speaking about the past. And this man, I don't recognize, but you've got a theory. That that's Elendil. That's the actor who plays Elendil. Okay, so that's definitely him. And Elendil, uh, I know we go into it in the podcast, but uh, quick, he's the father of Isildur. Yeah, he's Isildur's dad. He's the guy who who gets into that fight. He allies with Gilgalad, and he fights Sauron at the beginning of the Lord of the Rings movies. Get, gets his sword shattered. Mm-hmm. Narsil, he has. Uh, does he does he look old enough to be Isildur's father? Do we think this might be a flashback to an earlier time? Um, I think he looks old enough. Or is this just Numenorian blood? He just he just looks he just looks good for well, his age. Well, that is the thing. Like they, especially when they're like more faithful to the Valar and they're more faithful to the elves. They only get old in the last, like, 10 years of their lives, even though they're living, like, 300 years. Yeah, reminder, Aragorn throughout the Lord of the Rings film was, like, 85. Yeah. yeah. And, and he's faded. So, yeah. They, they, he's not, like, at the right, peak right. of Numenorians. Yeah, he's, like, the last vestiges of this magical yeah. blood in the... In, in the, the str- yeah, yeah. How do you think they're going to communicate this stuff to people like <laughs> me who aren't familiar with the age scales here? I, they like, have I'm, 10 hours a genuine instead question. of two minutes. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. A series of flashbacks might do it, something like that. I'm guessing they're going to use people like Galadriel, Elrond, and Isildur, the people that you at least saw in the movies, yeah. and they're going to have some kind of visual, musical, and flashback motifs to draw those connections. Because I think that's what people are going to, like, if you're a fan of the movies... And you haven't read the, the, that's what the going to be your life raft of like mm-hmm. you know uh, it's it's like they're your Obi Wan in the prequels you know I know this guy sure. I can I I, I I can make connections based on that yeah, yeah I think it's one, well there there's a whole thing sorry go ahead I was going to say I think that's um, amongst the the fandom I think that's a big question people have is is because we're taking that thousands of years of history and compressing it into five seasons. So how are they going to do this? And then obviously Amazon wants to get a nice big audience and they really want this to be a Game of Thrones scale show for them. So, yeah, how are they going to get you, uh, you know, Jim, to to be invested in the show? I think a lot of people have that question. Yeah. 
So the biggest thing with Numenorians, the biggest, the the pull of this story is that this fear of death and this like fear of the unknown is sort of the driving force behind their corruption. And so if you want to go to the next shot where you see Farasone, the, the older man standing in this sort of like Greek Mediterranean uh, plaza, um, that's another Numenorian. And he's he's the guy who we said is going to be like, hey, let's get Numenor back where it was. You know, let's let's bring this place back. We we can be better than the elves and we can be better than the Valar. And uh, whatever this regime is doing is terrible and we should just do our own thing and ride to glory and look how much older he is because he's like clinging to life here. He's, he's saying, I'm not going to go down. Ah. So I think that's a big thing that they're doing with this. And that's where the central tension comes from in this story. Cause originally just for people that, um, I think they, they, they briefly touched on this in the movies, but, uh, uh, the, the creator of the, of the, the cosmos, the, the Tolkien cosmos, um, this, there's a distinction between elves and men. The elves are eternal, Undying uh, men are given the gift of a brief life, and then they die, and then they go to some kind of like heaven, I think, existence that's shut off from the elves. But as the men got more established in their power and were attracted to those things, that that's that that gift, the that that temperance um, was started to be seen as the uh, a doom, the doom of men. So, like, what was originally supposed to be a, a gift became a perversion to them. Right, and that's because Sauron's boss, Melkor, who takes the name of Morgoth, he sort of puts this fear of death in them. Because at first they're just like, well, nothing happens when we die, maybe. Or maybe something good happens, but we'll trust Eru Iluvatar, the creator god, to do the right thing and put us somewhere. Um, the elves, we know, go to the Undying Lands when they die. Like, they're they're being sort of goes there and the elves have the lifespan of creation so like when the world totally ends when the clock stops elves cease to exist but they have the full lifespan until then however men go somewhere they don't know we don't know where they go we, we don't know where dwarves go um and and they're supposed to just trust in this gift of eru iluvatar and their gift is that they get to leave creation and they're not tied to it this is a neat, again, not that it's allegory, but I can't help but draw comparisons between Adam and Eve, you know, being deceived by the serpent about the nature of the tree of knowledge. Uh, it's it seems like they're again not an allegory, <laughs> but there's definitely parallels you can you can draw there. Absolutely, Tolkien the Catholic. Absolutely, chapters one and two we talk a ton about like the fear of death and how that was twisted by Sauron and his boss, and so I I think what they're what they're setting up to be a really central tension in this series is. Elrond only saw, like, the tail end of the war with Sauron's boss. And he's kind of assuming, hey, everything's pretty good now because we beat that guy. Because they beat the, the big bad at the end of the first age. He's gone now. He's in the void. He's not coming back. And Elrond's like, all right, everything's good now. Put down your sword, Galadriel. Relax. And Galadriel's like, you don't know what I know. Like, Sauron was just as bad as Melgor, even if he was less powerful. We got to we gotta deal with whatever's going on here. And so I think that's what's going to be one of these conflicts. So let's uh, jump ahead a little bit in the trailer here. We see a dwarf holding a, a, some sort of gem or a stone. And then we see mm-hmm. a group of what I think are elves pulling out their swords and it look, under a starry sky. And it looks like they may be uh, swearing an oath of some kind. I think that that's the oath of Feanor. Okay. Which um, we I brushed upon before, but that's where the the 
Noldor, or at least most of the Noldor, swear an oath to like kill anybody who gets in the way between them and their Silmarils. And that's like kind of the downfall of the Noldor in the first age. And that's why there's not so many left in this age. And Galadriel sat that oath out. So she's pretty unique among the Noldor. And, and so that's why she's probably having this flashback. And then uh, we see a couple more things, but then we jump to this fiery meteor crash, potentially. And as we pan back, we see a central figure in there and sort of the flames sort of uh, drowned out and in a, almost a very eye-like pattern. <laughs> um, so a lot of speculation about uh, Meteor Man here. Yeah, I think it's I think that they're at least telegraphing us that it's Sauron. I don't know if it really is. Maybe they just want us to think that. So, Because Sauron's busy in this age. There's there's a ton for him to do. I don't know of any story where he comes in on a meteor, but they could potentially do that, I guess. Is, could it be the... the um, it could, you could, uh, there might be a way that you're right about both things. Because we know that the... We're, we're not the Ishtari that the wizard sent as a response to Sauron fucking around. So like it could be that Sauron is is kind of thrown from heaven or you know comes down in a meteor and then late in a later scene we see the arrival of the uh, the, the the wizards in a similar fashion and that would kind of you know explicitly give you a hint of the cosmos that these people are coming from a place that's above you know the humans elves dwarves uh, you know like just 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 with this lang- visual language that uh, they're all coming from heaven essentially. Yeah, so so the Valar and we and we talk about this again in the in the Second Age, but the Valar are super like nervous about divine intervention at this point because a lot of things have gone on that we'll see in the show, so I won't spoil. Um, but if you want to hear the spoilers, go to the Second Age podcast. <laughs> but the Blue Wizards are the ones who may have come in the Second Age as a response to the forging of the Rings of Power, and then the other wizards definitely came in the Third Age as a response to like. We think Sauron's still around. Let's set up these free peoples of Middle Earth to have some help. Huh? I did not know that they came. I thought the, I yeah, I'd always thought that the Blue Wizards had came at the same time. They just had for whatever reason gone off the path of their purpose, and they were you know essentially wizards not seen in these movies. Uh. <laughs> yeah, there's two different versions. There's like there's one where everybody comes at the same time. There's one where the Blue Wizards come early. So I'd be fine with either one, but I'd rather them not have like Gandalf show up in this because that would be kind of silly to me. You don't think they get, because that was one of my questions, you don't think late in the game, like, you know, season four or five, we'll see uh, Gandalf or Saruman? I kind of hope not. I, I, I think that it would feel a little fan fiction if they did that, especially because they weren't involved. And I, I think that this whole thing is the story of how men and elves work together to solve this problem without so much divine intervention. And I would feel a little disappointed if gotcha. we had two rounds of Gandalf solving the problem, and then also somehow he takes forever to figure mm. it out in the Third Age. Mm. That makes sense. All right, the last shot of the um, trailer is a group of Harfords uh, walking through a field and heading towards some far-off mountains. And then we've got the uh, sort of the remained, or rejoinder of the song that we heard at the beginning, uh, sort of a stylized folk song. Is that an actual uh, song from the books? Because I know that's what I don't know. uh, Tolkien Tolkien loves love (laughs) songs, and I love skipping them when I was a teenager reading, and it's like, oh, italicized text, page, 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 page. But yeah, Uh, so I'm not the person to ask if these are actual Elvish or mid songs of men, but uh, I wondered because there's so many you can choose from. Yeah, I'll have to do some more research on that, but um, 
the the thing with the songs is that that's where a lot of this stuff is from because the first age is not really discussed in detail in the appendices which is where a lot of this material comes from um but the right. songs contain a ton of stuff like the story of Arendil, which is the story of the founding of Numenor is a whole song that Bilbo sings in Rivendell in the book so that's where they're getting the rights to any of this because they don't have the rights to the Silmarillion and they don't have the rights to anything else besides the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit so so the songs I'm glad that they're there even if you are skipping them because otherwise we wouldn't even get the show probably hmm. cool alright uh, it's a dense trailer there's so much in here and I don't even know if if this is all just first season stuff. I mean, if there's some of these things are first season, I would be really surprised. I mean, I, I think some of this maybe seeds out a little bit. Did they uh, did they record like or did they do like a, uh, a Peter Jackson thing where they film multiple seasons at once to then go do a whole bunch of post production on, or are they kind of shooting these um, season at a time? I, I think that they're doing season at a time, but I know that they gave them like a tremendous budget for this first season just to like get everything set up. Um, and I know that there's funky yeah. stuff because I think that they got ousted by James Cameron from New Zealand from like the normal like areas of Middle Earth that they usually film in. So they only got to film this season in New Zealand. The rest I think they're doing in like Ireland and England and things like that. Oh, that blows. How did James Cameron get him kicked out? Because he's making Avatar forever now. <laughs> And, and and he's taking all of fucking New Zealand, both islands? I think just, like, the areas that they shoot in are the same areas that Avatar takes advantage of, Damn. which is insane to me. Damn. Driving the hobbits off their ancestral lands. Jesus Christ, James. <laughs> bad, bad juju there. <laughs> Jim, what are you thinking? I think they should just shoot it in yeah. SoCal or Georgia like everything else shoots. <laughs> no problem, right? In the hills of California. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Do you think, uh, are you feeling more lost now, Jim, or are you... Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, but we'll get there, you know? If the show's going to be any good, it's going to bring people like me along by the hand. Uh, and, and I'm not going to need to go read a bunch of tomes before we get into this. Right. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's probably a lot like Game of Thrones was, where it's like you see a trailer for season five, and if you've read the books, you're like, oh, I yeah. know where all this is going. And if you haven't, you don't, but like you will by the time the season's over. Well, at least that's mm-hmm. that's the hope. And that, that's the experiment. Like, Can they make people care about this as much as people cared about The Lord of the Rings? Um, seems like they're going to give it the, a, a good, solid try. Like you, I was pretty underwhelmed at the first couple of teasers but this trailer makes me feel a lot better about what they're going to be laying out this looks so much better than a particularly wheel of time because that's what started scaring me some of the early teasers feel, felt cheap in the way that a lot of stuff i saw wheel of time even mm-hmm. though they spent a ton of money on that too this this feels like okay i can see where the dollars went uh on the screen um i i think that they have the potential to do a lot good here um, I, I hope that they take it slow because this is really dense. And, and I'll say that we went through a lot of things in the abstract here. So I'm, I'm referencing characters Oof. from across thousands of years. So if this feels daunting, again, go back to the prologue of the Second Age podcast. Follow us along. <laughs> We're going in order. We're breaking it down element by element. And it'll start to put it together as a bunch of puzzle pieces rather than this like bucket of fun that we just had. And also another good analogy is like there was quite a bit of material from the second age in the original films in the terms like the first prologue of the movie in terms of the flashback to Smeagol and Deagle. Um, 
but that was such a small fraction of the overall tale. It was just background information to kind of get you into the world, and it's not like you had to know who Isildur and uh, you know the, these these other characters were just enough to know like well where did the ring come from and why did this all start? And I suspect a lot of this stuff flashback. Like, I don't think we're going to have episodes in the first age. It's, it's going to be more, like, s- similar to the prologue of the film. Why are, do people care about these things so much? Why is this stuff happening? And, you know, the prologue for Lord of the Rings was pretty lengthy, but it was still a fraction of the over. So I, I guess I'm not as intimidated as the thousands of years because I feel like a, it's mostly going to take place in a pretty confined uh, period of time with a bunch of prologue type flashbacks to to make you understand why you should care yeah you basically got a central conflict with Numenor you've got a central conflict with the elves and the forging of the rings and then you have a central conflict of taking down Sauron and those are your three pillars of this series I think and as long as you can wrap your head around that you'll be fine the rest is details and you'll have us along for the ride (laughs) hopefully doing some uh lore um contextualization uh, after Jim and Aaron break down their uh, episodes on a, on the weekly basis on the weekly podcast. And then we've got the Discord and we've got a whole channel set aside just for Lord of the Rings and John and I are there pretty actively. Um, and there's a lot of good fan action in our on our Discord right now around this. So it's been uh, buzzing today. So That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Any other thoughts or should we wrap it up here? I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, uh, I, this is, these are way more thoughts than I had watching the trailer. So I'm, I'm glad to, to talk it through with you guys. Uh, well, that's, uh, that's our, that's our calling card, the lore hounds, right? So yeah, pretty excited. Um, guys, thanks for coming over. We appreciate you, um, spending a little time with us. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you guys are putting out the supplementary material. I'm enjoying those. I hope other people are subscribing to the, the second age, uh, and the, the dug too deep. Uh, that's where all this action is going to happen during the season. Um, and you guys got a whole series of stuff that's leading up to that launch on September 2nd. So uh, if you want to get more of that lore in under your belt, uh, please, please uh, subscribe and sign up for the, the, the Second Age podcast. All right. I think we'll leave it there. Uh, Jim, Aaron, John, thanks, everybody. And yeah. uh, we'll see you on the next episode. See you. The Second Age Podcast is produced by the Lorehounds and published by Bald Move. You can send questions and feedback about this podcast to secondageatbaldmove.com. For more Rings of Power content, subscribe to Dug Too Deep on your favorite podcast app. Ad-free versions of this and all other Bald Move podcasts can be yours by going to patreon.com slash baldmove. Check the show notes for reading recommendations and more info. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works, and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the fourth be with you all, all month 
and beyond. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.